Hi, welcome to In the Pacha, where I, Sam Reinstein, have conversations with different educators about the weekly Torah portion. This week, I, Sarah Walkenfeld. Hey, Sarah. Hey. Hey, so uh, everyone here, at least I think, knows me a little bit by now, um, but they don't know you. Uh, so would you mind introducing yourself a little bit? Sure. My name is Sarah Walkenfeld. I live in Chicago, Illinois, and I work as director of education for a great Jewish startup called Safaria, which I really hope that all of your listeners have heard of before. Um, would you mind maybe explaining both what Safaria is and what like the educational, what, what, what that job would entail? Absolutely. Safaria is a new database and interface for Jewish texts. We're building the future of Torah by, first of all, democratizing access to Torah. We're putting as much as possible of the core canon online, freely accessible, freely reusable, in a beautiful interface where everyone can read and learn from it. Um, and we are also encouraging people to learn more and be a part of the conversation and really see the process that has shaped generations and generations of Torah learning, really see the interactivity and the connections that make up the web of Torah learning, and then to join in and be a part of that. So that's the project of Safaria. And cool. my role specifically is working with educators. So I think about how everyone really can learn, teach, absorb, process better and differently using Safaria's new technology. So, so working with like with teachers like in day schools or, or, or like things like that? I do work with teachers in day schools, but I work with educators in a wide variety of settings. So synagogues, informal education, um, you name it, I've, I've spoken to them. And also people who are learners on, on their own time, people who want to think about how to leverage Safari's technology in their own lives. Uh, I work with everyone. Right, cool. Yeah, I mean, just one thing that I, I've noticed that's really cool, like you click on a Pasuk and all of a sudden on the right, it's like all the different commentaries that are on it and things like that. It kind of functions like a whole bunch of books <laughs> that are all like there simultaneously. Yeah. That's uh, the goal. Cool. I, yeah. I think that it's it's meant to mimic the feel of that that time in the Beit Midrash when you realize that you've pursued connection after connection and suddenly you have a whole stack of books open on the table in front of you. And I think that that feeling that one text leads to another and leads to another and that there's a kind of choose your own adventure feel to Jewish texts. I think that's what we all want to feel in our own learning and what we all, those of us who educate, want to impart that to anyone we educate or anyone we study with. And that's what I think is so special about Safaria. Cool. Yeah. And, and like almost everything's translated, which is pretty cool too. For, We're working on it. For people We're that are new. Yeah. Well, not everything, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Um, so I'd love to hear uh, what, oh, sorry. First, I sometimes go two steps too far, um, partially because I haven't done this in a while. Um, so thank you for the listeners for being patient. Um, I had to take a little break because I took an actuary exam recently. Uh, so hopefully I did well on that, but needed to take a break from like figuring this out. Uh, so, um, but back on now, um, hopefully every week uh, for the rest of the Parshiot. Um, so first, we'll get back to trying to do uh, our 30-second summaries of the Parsha, um, and then we'll, we'll have our conversations. Awesome. Do I get to time you? Uh, sure. You can try. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see how well I do. Um, Go for okay. it. Okay. 
Uh, Yaakov returns to Canaan from Levan's house. He sends messengers to his brother Esav, who, ha- who he had to run away from to try and reconcile differences. As he's traveling, Yaakov goes back to get a small jug, encounters an angel who he fights. Although wounded, Yaakov reveals and is given the name Israel, one who wrestles with God. Esav and Yaakov meet and seemingly make peace, but go separate ways. Yaakov then arrives near Shem, where Dina, his daughter, is kidnapped by Shem, the prince of the city. Shimon and Levi, two of their brothers, uh, trick and decimate Shem for their actions, to which Yaakov is displeased. Rachel dies on the path to Beilachem after giving birth to Benjamin. Yitzhak then dies and is buried in Hebron with Avram and Sarah. Ooh. Okay. More, more like 40. That's okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so now that we kind of just, I mean, I ran through that Parsha, there's a lot going on. Um, so I'd love to hear what you, uh, what you wanted to focus on. Sure. I was really struck by the stories of naming that concern Yaakov in this week's Parsha. You mentioned in that run through the fight with the man angel person. Um, and that I think is the, that's like the famous renaming of Yaakov. That's when he fights with this man or angel and he's wounded and he gets renamed Israel. But it actually happens twice in the Parsha. And I made myself a little chart. Um, and here's my plug for Safaria. This actually is a great thing to learn on Safaria because you can open the two pieces, the two texts side by side. Breshit Parak Lamed Bet and Breshit Parak Lamed Hay. I recommend it because if you do, you'll see that there's a really a parallel structure throughout the story. In Breshit Lamed Bet, when Yaakov is is by himself and and encounters this man angel person, mm-hmm. um, Yaakov asks the angel for a blessing, and the angel offers the name change. And then it says at the end that there's a blessing. So the person, the man, I don't like to call him an angel straight up because it doesn't say that in the text. Um, But the man starts with a question. He asks Yaakov, what's your name? In the story in Breshit Lamed Hay, like I said, you can literally open them side by side. God starts with an assertion. He says, Shimcha Yaakov. In the story in Breshit Lamed Bet, the Man says, Lo Yaakov ki'im Yisrael. We're not going to call you Yaakov anymore, rather Yisrael. In the story in Breshit Lamed Hay, God says, Lo Yaakov ki'im Yisrael Yisrael. So your name won't be called Yaakov anymore, rather Yisrael will be your name. And he named him Yisrael. Very similar, but importantly different, maybe, statement of renaming. Because in, in chapter 32, it's more of a statement, this is what you're going to be called. And later God says, no, this is your new name. Is that what, is that it? I think that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's a longer statement, right? It's not just, we won't say that that's your name, that really you have a new name more officially. By Shmo Yisrael is really a language of naming. Right. I name you Yisrael. And then in the story in Breshit Lamed Bet, to jump back there, the angel gives a reason. He says, Kisarita imelokim ve'im anashim v'tuchal. You've, you've stru- striven with, you've struggled with God and people, and you've kind of won out. In the story in Breshit Lamed, hey, there's no reason given. God just renames him full stop. Hmm. And then the story wraps up in Breshit Lamed, hey, with ya- in, sorry, in Breshit Lamed Bet, with Yaakov asking the angel's name. Right. And the angel refuses. 
Whereas if you jump forward to Brishit Lamed Hay, God offers God's name as the next step in that story. God introduces God's self. And, and Yaakov doesn't the story even ask. Then, and Yaakov doesn't even ask. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. In Brishit Lamed Bet, there's this blessing, Vevarechoto, um, in Breshit Lamed Hey, it doesn't use the language of blessing, but it sounds an awful lot like God blesses him, God promises him all sorts right. of things. The angel leaves in Breshit Lamed Bet. God leaves, God takes leave of Yaakov in Breshit Lamed Hey. Mm-hmm. And both stories end with Yaakov naming the place where this encounter happened. So there's a real attempt to draw our attention, I think, to the both to the parallels and the differences between these two stories. I think the first question that came up for me was just, why does this have to happen twice? And there maybe you could, I think you already started to offer an answer to that, right, in terms of the difference in language. Right, but but even so, uh, I mean, even, even with what I was saying, kind of like, it could have all been put together. Like the last line of that first story in 32 could have been, in chapter 32 could have been, um, and God named him Yisrael, you know, like right. You didn't need it. Yeah, twice and later, right? There's the whole story of Shem that happens in between. Uh, there's like a right. They're separated by a right. lot. It's like not. Uh, it's not even like it's one next to each other. It's uh, um, so I, I don't even think the road I was going down is sufficient at all. So I didn't find an answer that I love to that. Right. At least not immediately. And other than to say there's something more official about the, the second time that it happens, there's something more formal there where there's this formal naming. So since I didn't find an answer that I loved, I started to focus more on, well, what's the significance of this name change at all? Why does his name even get changed? Right. Why is this such a significant event? Maybe, maybe that's what the double is trying to draw our attention to. This is such a significant impactful moment in Yaakov slash Yisrael's life. So I looked at a commentary that I found on Safaria, um, but it's actually one of my favorite commentaries to learn, and I was so, so happy when we put it up on the site. Um, it's Haktave HaKabalah. I don't know if you that's someone you spend a lot of time with. Yaakov Tzvi Mecklenburg, the 19th century German Nechama Leibowitz quotes him a lot. So that's the only... That's the only... Um, reference I have at all. <laughs> I learned about him in high school, and for some reason it really stuck. Um, shout out to my junior year Chumash uh, teacher. And uh, I just think his answers are interesting and creative, and I think also that there's something that I like about learning some of the later Torah commentators because they feel more more like us. Like They also are reading Rashi and Ramban and Ibn Ezra and all the things that we're looking at, um, and they have a, a little bit of a more modern right, sure. worldview. So I often really like looking at what he has to say. And he has a kind of multi-part approach to this, the specific part in the second round of the story, in Breshit Lamed Hay, where it talks about, uh, where, where God renames Yaakov. And he says, at, at first glance, it sounds like it's saying, Yaakov is not your name anymore. Your name is not Yaakov. Your name is Israel. On some very literal level, that is kind of what it's saying. right? Your name won't be called Yaakov anymore. Rather, Israel is what you're going to be called. But he points out, 
Hakatafa Kabbalah points out, as many commentaries do, that that's not possible because he is called Yaakov right. later on, and even God calls Yaakov Yaakov right. later on. Some of the other Mepharshim kind of sneak in extra words, and uh, Rav Mecklenburg kind of refers disparagingly to that. I saw the Ibn Ezra, among others, try to say, not Yaakov Levad, like that won't be your only name, your name will also be <laughs> right. Israel. He doesn't like that at all. He says, uh, essentially he says, Torah Hashem Tamima, the language of the Torah is perfect, and so it can't be that you have to sneak in an extra word in order to make that work. And instead, he argues, the word od that's used in that pasuk, that sort of additional, um, that word od always implies something additional. So you don't need to sneak in any words. It always means that something is being added. But here, it's a qualitative addition. It's not an addition, like not just that you have another name, but you have a new name that reflects something that's qualitatively different about you. And I really like the example pasuk that he gives. He quotes from Tehillim, Ashir azamra that I, right, it's parallelism. So those two parts of the verse mean the same thing. Like I'll, I'll sing to God in my life and then I'll um, praise God as long as I'm alive. Right. It's, it's a common poetic form that the two halves mean the same thing. But he says that word be'odi in the second half of the verse that's that, that's that ode that always means something additional. So the first half of the verse means I'll praise God with all of my living spirit. I'm a living being and I'll praise God. But the second half reflects something more so. That bi'odi is about a human being's higher intellectual status. It reflects something above and beyond the life force of other created cool. beings. Right. And so this new name is naming something new and additional about Yaakov, something that was either non-existent or underdeveloped or unrecognized previously. So it's not his only name, but from now on, it's his more important name. What do you think? Right. Um, interesting. Um, and so like, even though he has, he now has two names, but like one of them is the like so, I guess what you're saying is the angel named him, gave him the name Yisrael also. Um, but here, the second story, God is then elevating Yisrael, um, the, that name above Yaakov. And it's true, he might have some old friends that still call him Yaakov because they're used to calling <laughs> him Yaakov. Um, but like now, his like real name is Yisrael, kind of thing. Well, including God, right? God's an old friend who sometimes yeah. calls him Yaakov. They split um, into old but I think, <laughs> yeah, right. He goes on to say, Agtava uh, Kabbalah goes on to say that this Vaikra Etchmo, that language, is a really, it's a formal act mm -hmm. of naming. And I haven't checked him against all examples, but I'm pretty convinced by the examples that he gives. When you, when you being God or you being someone in Sefer Breshit, when you name something that already has a name, it's a different formulation than when you name something or someone that doesn't have a name mm. yet. So someone that doesn't have a name yet gets Vaikra Etchmo or Vatikra Etchmo. And something that already has a name gets the Lamed form. So um, later on, when, uh, when Binyamin is renamed um, by his father, he's renamed from Benoni to Binyamin, it's Aviv Karalo. Mm. His father calls him. Um, and 
there is light and there is dark, and God calls one day and calls one night, but when you name things that have no name before, you use this et formulation. And he says, well, that's not exactly what et means here. Et here means with. But I think that that formulation, I mean, here I guess I'm, I'm veering off course a little bit from what Haktav HaKabbalah has in mind, but I think that, that that resonance of formal naming is what's so important in that story. Like you said, they'll still be old friends who always think of him as Yaakov, but he's moving away from that, that identity. And if Yaakov, he was named because he was grabbing his brother's heel at birth, it has sort of, if not negative connotations, at least sort of sneaky, second best, right? He's not, um, he's not always been the first in line or the one who put the best right. foot forward, um, as it were. And now he has new huh. capabilities that were kind of recognized and brought out to him by that person, by that angel. And God is really, I think, ratifying that and saying, yes, this is your name. This is something real about who you are. And I love this because I just think it's such a powerful idea that you can develop or refine new capabilities even later in life. I mean, Yaakov is, is an old right. man here, essentially. Um, and he, he finds something new within himself, so much so that it calls for a name change. And I think maybe that also speaks to this doubling, that he was by himself. He was left alone to kind of contemplate his life when he first discovered this new name. Right. And he has this almost dreamlike sequence with an angel person we're not exactly sure who it is and he comes out of it knowing this new thing about himself and God comes to him and says you're right you have this capability we're going to name it we're going to call it by what it is and from now on that's going to be how you're known in the world or at least by the people right. who meet you now right at least by your descendants at least as a mm -hmm. new thing and I just I'm really struck by this idea um, I applied for a fellowship once where one of the questions was something like um, something about like what identity would you put would you put out into the world? What name would you choose for yourself that other people don't usually use for you? Um, I don't remember what I said, but I thought it was such a great kind of conversation starter question, um, or such a great question for reflection. And that's what I see going on in this parsha. Yaakov was able to find something in himself that wasn't immediately evident, even later in life, and now that's his name, and he's going to take that going right, forward so i love that idea and also as a theme and safer brace sheet naming is very important right so i love that idea i think we can work with it over the course of yeah and weeks. uh and something that i was just thinking about now that i've never really thought about um on some level yaakov like the grabbing of the ankle is like a little bit of that negative connotation of like trying to grab somebody else and trying to like grab somebody else but yisrael is kind of like the positive like it's almost transferred to a positive idea where it's like, I never really thought about the names being similar in that way um, until you just said that. Uh, and that might like add to what you're saying in the sense that sure, you can also get um, like, you know, positive characteristics. You can grow as a person, but what frequently happens, you can take things that you always looked upon as negative and kind of turn them into positives. Um, and God kind of does that here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I love that. Right. It's just a, a new twist on his right. old name, but, um, but somehow has, has much better mm -hmm. connotations in the long so term. Why, why did you, why do you think that it needed to be said a second time or, or we're still thinking about that? 
So I think it has to do with this more with this with this process that he has to realize it when he is alone. It's it's ultimately or it has to stem from a place that's within him. And he has this encounter and this is a big moment in his life when he's going to confront Asav. He's scared, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He has this whole family but like maybe it's all going to be wiped out. It's a major major moment in his life and that's sometimes those major uh, almost crisis moments are good times for confronting right. yourself and thinking who am I really in the world. So I think it had to start that way. But then I think that God had to kind of really drive the point home and give it that kind of ratify it in that way to make right. it stick. Uh, maybe for history, maybe also for Yaakov right. himself. Right. So that's that's the idea that I'm working with to think about why mm. the twice. And and I mean just jumping off from that point, maybe that's why it comes after the Shrem story. Because the Shrem story is like a story where his sons go out and do something very drastic. Um, and he's kind of upset at them for like acting so rashly. Um, because maybe they were like kind of like acting, like he's now becoming into this Yisrael character. And they were kind of acting like Yaakov would have. Like kind of just running at the problem, grabbing the problem. Instead of... Um, you know, becoming this person that kind of more wrestles with the problem instead. Um, I mean, that's, I'm obviously thinking about this for the first time. So, um, but I don't know. I feel- yeah, I, I hear that. I, I also think that the, that story is a major um, parenting story for him. We haven't really seen a, a crucial parenting moment for him. And I was thinking about that also in a slightly different way that he's, the whole the whole thing with his with the angel and that blessing comes as he's about to confront his brother, and then there's this whole story with Dina and her brothers, and that's mm. his children. And I guess now I'm speaking as a parent that it's it's fascinating. It's been fascinating for me to parent siblings as someone who right. is a sibling and and was a sibling as a child. And sometimes you have these moments where you're like, oh, that's what was right. going on right when I was a kid. Now watching your kids play things out. So I wonder if there isn't, um, you know, just sort of building off of what you said, right? That feeling that he's, he is sort of coming into his own now. Cool. Very interesting. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm going to transition now to, to the second topic. Uh, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. I know so something that I was, I was thinking about is kind of this uh, reunion that Yaakov and Esav have. Because uh, obviously Yaakov runs away because he thinks his brother is going to kill him, which is, you know, pretty much as intense of a family dysfunction as you can imagine. Uh, and he kind of reaches out, uh, reaches out seemingly for no reason, but decides to uh, decides to reach out. And surprisingly, it seems to, at least just based on the text, it seems to go really well. Uh, you know, they Asaph runs to greet him. I'm looking in thirty three four. Lama Gimel Pasuk Dalad. Esav runs to greet him. Esav embraces him. Um, they're hugging. Um, the, he kisses them. He kisses Yaakov, and they cry together. Um, and it seems to be really nice. Um, the thing is, is that I mean, the comment, the most famous commentary on this, I think, is that it, it's actually a hidden negative um, where where Esav's really trying to bite. Um, Yaakov, and that's why if you look in the Torah or even um, I think in most Chumash's, so there are dots on top of the 
he kissed him, meaning like that there were bite marks that he tried to do. Um, but on the whole, it seems to be somewhat split. Even in that midrash, uh, it's there's one opinion that says that he put him, and then there's another one saying that he was sincere. Uh, why the dots are there he, it isn't really answered. Um, but what I wanted to focus on more was the uh, was and they wept together uh, because on some level, first of all, I'm not sure what's going on with Asav. Um, and I'm curious to hear if you have any thoughts on this, just because it's so drastic. Um, like certain commentaries are like gung ho, like Asaph hates him still and is just faking it or still trying to hurt him. And some are like, no, he has a real moment of, uh, like Samson Rafael Hirsch has like, like Asaph really has a real moment of like brotherly love and he comes back to him and then he's nice afterwards. Um, and this real like optimistic view of Asaph, um, while others are like, no, he's trying to kill him, <laughs> which is pretty intense. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah, I don't know. I don't have a problem saying that Asaph was really moved right. to tears here. Um, and I think what I've always felt about the dot over the word Vishakehu, like the, the bite marks imagery is very, um, you know, it's very vivid, but I think it just, it just puts a lot of weight right. on that word. Like this was like a oh, heavy moment. Right. Um, like you have those moments where you just feel like, burdened by so much history but it's almost like um, they're underlining it yeah yeah and right. and very literally right the word is underneath right. the weight uh. of these dots and so i i feel like the tears there are real on both sides but i also feel like um just as there's kind of confusion and we're not sure exactly what they're each feeling going into it i think they come out mm. of it that way also like the story wraps up without real resolution they separate but kind of Yaakov's like oh no like you go ahead I'm going to catch up with you but he doesn't and it's not clear that he ever intended to so I think that all the weight of the story before and after is kind of contained in this word and I think that at that moment they might have different reasons for crying um but I think it's it's heartfelt emotion I I did all as I was going through I only saw four or five of them uh, four or five commentaries on this. And I did wonder on some level if like, cause in the Midrash, Asav is very frequently like just regarded as like, like the non-Jews, right? Like almost like it's about mm-hmm. Yaakov, the Jewish person's relationship to non-Jewish people. And I did kind of notice the pattern. I'm not sure if this is full. Like I haven't gone through like hundreds of commentaries to, to really realize this, but I did kind of notice a pattern that people who are, in good relationships with their neighbors. Um, so like Rav Samson Rav Hirsch, um, who was like in a time where things were pretty good, um, see this as like a positive thing. Like, no, look, Jews and non-Jews can get along. Uh, meanwhile, Rashi, who's like in a time of like really bad relationship with his Christian neighbors, uh, you know, sees it as, no, he's really trying to kill him. Um, I, I do wonder if on some level, it's like kind of people's context, uh, kind of putting you, putting Asav as the non-Jewish character. Um, yeah, I think the Gemara starts that, right? And, and I mean, Midrashim, the Gemara, everyone goes in that direction. So I think that makes a lot uh, so of sense. One, one last thing I wanted to I wanted to really talk about just for a minute was the Vayifchu at the end. Because uh, if you notice, like everything is, uh, is like Asav's doing it. So like Asav runs to him, um, Asav greets him, Asav hugs him, 
Asaph falls on his neck and then they, and Asaph kisses him and then they weep together. They, they, uh, mm. they, they, um, they cry together. Um, so the Haim HaKadavar, um, who, who's the Nitziv, Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, um, which is also on Safario, which was cool. I didn't realize it would be there. Um, and it's translated. Yeah. Another favorite of mine. Um, and so he argues um, that it's surprising to him that Yaakov weeps also um, because just the translation, at the moment, love for Esav awakened in Yaakov as well. Um, because what you would think is that, like, in the end of the day here, Esav's the bad guy, right? Esav wanted to kill Yaakov. Esav made him run away, and he's willing to reconcile because Esav's reconciling. Um, and the Nitziv in Haimakadavar um, really sees it as Yaakov reconciling in a way that we wouldn't expect. Um, and I kind of think about that sometimes in terms of people reconciling. Like, it's somewhat easy for the person that's wrong um, to like reconcile because they, they can say them sorry. Um, and we always focus on that side, uh, but it's sometimes we just take it for granted that people will be like, okay, I forgive you. Um, but uh, then it doesn't take that for granted. And it's almost surprised that Yaakov like, you know, weeps with him, weeps with Asaph, um because, yeah. yeah, because they have such a fraught history. Yeah, I think that's that's a really beautiful idea, and um, what it what it makes me think of when you talk about this sort of reciprocity. Um, I'll reveal something that I didn't I didn't say this about my identity when you asked me to introduce myself because I you didn't ask me this specifically. Um, but uh, but I'm the parent of identical oh, wow. twin boys, and I think about that when I read this story, and maybe maybe it also influences my willingness to believe that it's that the kissing is mutual on both sides but it really struck me when you said that Esav is the active one in this pasuk but then they have the identical mm. reaction um it makes total sense to me that that this that this reciprocity is possible between them and that they in in that moment of extreme emotional tension that they have the same Be- because uh, because you see like that with your sons is that like you see that w? i do i do i think that um I think twins can be very different from each other, and mine certainly are. But I think that um, I think that that sort of spontaneous reaction in the moment, that spontaneous emotional reaction, it makes sense to me that they would have the same reaction. And I think that that also speaks to your earlier point about the way that that commentators relate to Asaph. When Asaph is representative of the other, then there's a question about well, how do we think about the other? But sometimes we remember well, but like way back in the day, we were related to them. And then we can kind of respond in that way. So I think I think all of right. that is contained in this cool. pursuit. Oh, thanks. That's that's a really cool insight. Um, yeah. So any last things to add, or are we good? Um, I feel like I learned so much. Amazing. This was really great. I I'm gonna go think about all of this and love that it's still early right. in the week. So. We, we have a lot of yeah, time to especially, think especially, I mean, just with Thanksgiving, I thought it was important to, to make sure um, we got this done early. Exactly. More time to learn tomorrow. Okay, so thank you, Sarah, so much for being on. Uh, thank you. And for That's everyone really listening, uh, pay, pay attention for the next coming, coming episodes of In the Pacha. <laughs>